This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It is easy to feel overwhelmed by all the injustices that we see in the world. It can seem never-ending sometimes and can feel like there's nothing that we can do about it. But Today's guest is an encouragement to me. He's somebody who helps me push back against this. And he is here to remind us that we can make a difference and we can increase our impact when we work together. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Our guest today is Terrence Lester, who is back for the second time on Sounds Good. His first episode with us was among our most popular. Terrence is the founder of Love Beyond Walls, which is an organization in Atlanta that serves people experiencing homelessness or poverty. And when he was on the podcast a few months back, he shared about the creative solutions that his organization has come up with to solve the unique challenges facing people experiencing homelessness during the pandemic. And now he's back to share more good with us. He just released a new book called When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. And he is here today to talk about the central idea of the book, which is all about how making change happens most effectively within the context of community and collaboration. And it is such good news that we don't ever have to fight the world's injustices alone. We can join together and multiply our impact. I spoke with Terrence about how anyone can find the time and effort to make a difference. And he shared some really practical tips for preventing burnout, which is really important, and prioritizing our peace while also working diligently to push justice forward. I love this conversation. I hope we get to have Terrence back a million more times. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into my interview with Terrence Lester. I know that when we talked in our first episode, we talked about the incredible work that you're doing for people experiencing homelessness. And now you've written this new book, When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. And I'm curious, how would you describe the connection between the work that you do and what many of us know you for, and this new book? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, one, this new book is all about what it means to be in community and collaboration with others. I would, you know, say that none of the work that we've been able to do as a nonprofit organization or me personally in my personal life and leadership has been apart from connecting with those um, and collaborating with those who were able to to make it happen. Um, I don't think anything is done on an island. As, and as a matter of fact, if a person thinks that they are leading alone, making change alone, or uh, trying to change some of the social landscape alone, then that person is an island unto themselves. I think the real power of social change comes through the power of community. 
that when I offer up my gifts and skill sets in collaboration with other people uh, who are being responsible for the role they play in a larger fabric of social change, then together we make a difference. For instance, you put out a newspaper that focuses on, you know, good content. Uh, We're always bombarded with uh, bad news, whether it's coming from the radio station or, uh, you know, some news broadcast or whatever it may be, even social media. And you are owning your role. You are putting content before people uh, to let them know that hope is possible. That's a role in the the story of social change. Uh, We are uh, on the front lines ensuring that people experiencing homelessness have a voice. They are seen. They are not invisible, but also have access to some of those critical resources. I think your contribution, my contribution, connected with the contributions of others, whether it be signing people up to uh, have access to voter registration or, you know, calling politicians or whatever their role may be, all of us working together uh, creates the type of change that we are all longing to see. In the book, you kind of dive into this idea of isolation and how many of us are stuck in our own bubbles with people who are similar to us. And then you go on to talk about, to some degree, the inverse of that as proximity. And proximity is what allows us to recognize our interconnectedness. And so my question for you is, what is that process of getting outside of our own bubbles or recognizing that we have bubbles and living in more proximity with people who are different than us? And then kind of as a follow-up, then what happens when we're able to realize and live out our interconnectedness? You know, isolation within itself can feel safe, right? In many cases, people isolate themselves to protect themselves against past traumas or hurts that they've experienced. They don't want to replicate that same type of pain if they have fear of entering into new relationships. Uh, There are people who use isolation as a way of protecting themselves from the things that are going on in uh, larger society. But then there are are people who isolate themselves and have come encapsulated with just like uh, having everything in their world monolithic. When I was writing that chapter about getting out of your bubble, I'll never forget an email that I received from a local private school. It's lodged in a neighborhood that is really dense. The neighborhood contains a mixture of socioeconomic incomes, uh, whether it be people who have little to no income versus people who are uh, building new homes in a three hundred dollars to $400,000 range, right? And this school sits on a campus and it almost sits in a bubble. And what this principal was emailing me, he was asking me to come and give a talk to uh, the students there to kind of communicate that there was a world outside of their normal environment, um, that they are lodged in the community, but within itself uh, had no types of bridge building or uh, relationship or uh, really proximity to the, to the rest of the community. And when I talk about uh, getting outside of your bubble and being proximate, it's about engaging in 
relationships with community members that you wouldn't normally come in contact with. It's about, uh, you know, tearing down the distance between uh, people who may be on totally uh, ends of the spectrum. It's about engaging in the community around you in a way where you become a part of the whole community as opposed to isolating yourself and cutting yourself off from the rest of the community. I think there are tremendous things can that can happen when we discover proximity, right? I think, firstly, uh, we get a chance to really see and understand that there's a world outside of our, our little bubble or our world that we like to exist in. Uh, there is opportunity to be aware of the ways in which we can offer up our gifts or skill sets to make a difference in the world around us. Uh, but most importantly, we get to see people, uh, which is the most important thing. Uh, seeing people who may be in a different social location, see people who may be uh, dealing with different pains that you may be dealing with, but also understanding that um, we have a responsibility to care for the entire community. What does it look like for you to use your gifts or your skill set in collaboration with others, ensuring that the entire community does not suffer. And I've said this many times before, Brandon, like what I do for you, I'm also doing for myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that phrase that you just used. You, you said whole community, because in my mind, as you're talking, I'm like, well, I don't know, like Portland has got, you know, to me, like, Portland, where I live, feels very monolithic. You know, it, it really has a certain kind of person who's drawn to this community. That's like my initial thought. And then as you continue talking, I'm processing through this in real time and recognizing, well, that's that's just the community that I'm saying that I identify with or I recognize around me. But the reality is, of course, the community is so much bigger than people who are just like me. I could you know, walk down my street for five minutes and, and find people who I don't normally think about connecting with. And so I think that that is helpful to recognize what does it look like to, you know, really be a part of your whole community and not just the parts that make you feel comfortable, the parts that you recognize, the parts that share your life experiences. That was probably a really challenging part of the book for me and uh, a really helpful part of the book and this conversation. It's amazing that you say that. It reminds me of a sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. was giving in 1967 called uh, The Christmas Sermon on Peace. And basically, uh, the crooks of this sermon or the foundation of this sermon was communicating this idea that we live in a global village or a world house, that he sees the entire world as the community, um, as an address, Right. And he goes on to give this powerful illustration. He says, uh, did you ever stop to think that you can't leave your job in, for your job in the morning without being dependent on most of the world? He goes on to say, you may get your, you know, the things in your bathroom uh, from a Pacific Islander. Uh, you may get your bar of soap uh, from a Frenchman. You may get, you know, your cup of coffee from a South American. And he goes on and he talks about all of the things that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. And literally, we are encountering the world uh, just by waking up in the morning. He's literally saying that we are all interconnected and we're all a part of this global village. And that what I do for 
you know, my neighbor or uh, the person that is a, in a different social location, that I'm doing it for the entire community, the world, right? It's the world house. And I think that's the mentality that we have to adopt if we are wanting to see the type of social change um, and goodness in this world that we're so desperately desiring. We have to wake up and reorient our minds to move beyond our bubbles and start to see what can I do to care for the entire global village? What can I do to care for the entire world house? Because if justice injustice is existing in a place, then that means that that uh, is th- a threat to justice everywhere, which it was his main message. Your book actually kind of dives into this at the beginning of the book. I remember you talked about this idea that there's this new trend that obviously we at Good Good have seen happening where we've all been posting and sharing more social media content about injustices and disasters and kind of the heartbreak and pain of the world. Like we're all just posting it to our stories or, you know, Brands like Good 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 are sharing it to our feed for other people to share to their stories. And we're living in this time where we all have a a much bigger awareness about the injustices happening in the world. But at the same time, like that can have this unfortunate effect of leaving us feeling overwhelmed or wondering if change is possible. And yeah, I think we kind of see it in like waves of activism. You know, we saw a wave of activism over the summer and then it slowed down. We might have seen another wave around election times and maybe it's slowing down again. Maybe we're about to see another wave with what's happening in Palestine right now. And how do we fight back from that feeling of being overwhelmed when we are in this global house where you know what does happen to the rest of the world does affect me but when i'm paying more attention to it it is harder and i know that i want to and i know that listeners want to fight that apathy and fight that desire to tune out the injustices and instead to take action and be a part of the solution but how how do we do that how do we maintain that energy without completely burning out Social media trauma is a real thing. And I do uh, talk about that early in the book because uh, it's something that we encounter on a daily basis without even knowing it. I mean, you think about it from the palm of your hand, you can encounter injustices happening all around the world at one time and you're consuming uh, this information. Yes, it can make you feel numb. Yes, It can make you feel overwhelmed. Yes, it can even make you feel like what it is that you have to bring to the table is not even worth your time and energy of offering it up. I think part of that is because we don't know what to do or where to start. And also, we think that change is supposed to happen with the push of a button globally. Change never happens all at once, all at one time. Change happens locally uh, before it happens nationally, and it happens nationally before it happens globally. And I think one of the things that people have to realize is that, yeah, injustices will always exist. And you can 
consume, consume, consume to the point where you feel absolutely apathetic and numb and indifferent and tired and burned out. Or you can make the sound choice of how what can I do uh, right around me? What can I do in my own community to start to connect with other people to see some type of change before me? Because if we don't start to see like some type of change or get involved in some type of way, we'll always have this conditioning that the world is on fire. And one of the reasons I like uh, what you post in, in terms of good content is because you're highlighting people that are choosing to say, yeah, I know all of these things are happening in the world, but I'm going to own my my piece of the puzzle and I'm going to contribute that and offer that in connection with other people, hoping that all of our pieces collectively make this beautiful picture that we wish to see. Man, that is so encouraging to hear. And that's so helpful the way that you just articulated that because in my mind this is a very complex idea and you just simplified it a lot uh and and one of the ways that i think that early on we tried to create something to help people solve this problem and and specifically in the beginning it was all just helping me solve my own problems was i oftentimes felt like oh my gosh this thing is too big i can't make a difference in this thing um i can't you know, just pick up and go and volunteer in this place that just had a disaster. I can't start a nonprofit. I don't even have a lot of money. I can't make a big donation. And so inside the good newspaper, we have what we call the good bar. And at the bottom of every page, it's action steps on how you can get involved in the stories you just read. And instead of just saying like, here's the one thing you can do, we really try to have it be three levels of things you can do. Something good, something better, something best. And the goal is that anybody can do that first thing. The good thing will take you five minutes or $5 or just something that is very doable. But the goal is that after you do that, you recognize, oh my gosh, I actually have a little bit of power to create some change here. You know, my five minute call with my elected representative, I was heard and they're going to bring that up in a meeting and it could create change. Or my $5 actually is going to impact this work being done, once you have that momentum, it does kind of lead you into that next step. And it also serves that purpose of your brain not feeling overwhelmed or your brain not feeling like change isn't possible because you just proved that you have the power to change something. Even if it's not everything, you change something. And I feel like it kind of unlocks something. And I'm sure we got to find the science on this, but like it unlocks something in your brain that actually helps you not feel hopeless. Yes, it does. It reminds me of a speech uh, given in 1983 by Marianne Elderman. Um, She was giving a talk to graduating students, and she says this quote that's really profound. She says, pick a piece of the problem that you can help solve while trying to see how your piece fits into the broader social change puzzle. I'll say that again. She says, pick a piece of the problem that you can help to solve while trying to see how your piece fits into the broader social change puzzle. I love that analogy of the puzzle box. I mean, we've all been around them, even if we didn't help to solve them. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes they come with many different pieces and all of those pieces create this beautiful image on the front of the box. Right. 
Um, if we start to think about that in relation to, you know, our contributions or our our piece of the puzzle, right? Um, many times people think that their piece is not big enough, you know, or their piece is out of shape or their piece wouldn't make a difference. And what I'm trying to communicate and what I think that Elderman is trying to communicate is that every single piece is needed um, for uh, this social change to actually happen. That it doesn't matter if it's a phone call or you standing in line or you're advocating on social media or you're hosting a podcast or you're recording a video or you're serving a meal to a person experiencing homelessness or you're advocating for laws to be changed that criminalize uh, people experiencing homelessness or just like our organization in the past year, providing access to sanitation. All of that working together creates this beautiful image that we're desiring to see. And my challenge and my call to action for those who may feel overwhelmed and have been sitting on the sidelines is to find your peace. And that's a double entendre. I'm not only talking about uh, the peace that you will contribute, but your peace in this work, because you don't need to tire out and burn out because this is a, a long journey and you're going to have to continue to offer up your peace even when you don't see results. And you're going to have to continue to fight for your own personal peace, for your own sanity. And you're going to have to continue to connect with other people so we can create this beautiful image of social change that we desire. Do you mind if I ask how you're finding your own piece and specifically the P-E-A-C-E piece. Because I know that you are leading this organization in the midst of a global pandemic. You are launching this important book that you poured your heart and soul into. Like, How are you doing and how are you maintaining if you're maintaining? In all honesty, it is a, a constant fight and a constant battle every single day. I am you know, waking up in the morning, making sure that I create the type of margin and space where I can have time for meditation and working out. I'm being very uh, careful with the type of content that I'm consuming. I'm listening to uh, podcasts and music and all of the things that I know can spark inspiration I'm being very intentional about the conversations that I'm having and making myself more aware of the things that trigger me uh, with past traumas and, and things that I've experienced. I'm also uh, working on expressing myself in my own personal journaling. And I love to spend time and hang out with my family, which is one of my favorite things to do. I've been adamant about trying to practice all of them all throughout the week. Uh, because at any given moment, one may work better than the other. The other may work better than the other. But I am constantly fighting and have created like a, a list of things that give me life and fill me up that I'm constantly pursuing. I think any person that is thinking about trying to maintain their their peace and their grit, right, uh, because grit is maintaining interest in the thing that you committed to long after the emotions have have left. If you're wanting to maintain that grit, you, you've got to, to create some type of rhythmic system to help you ground yourself as you pursue the work of justice. 
We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about some of the common excuses that many of us, myself included, have for not taking action when we know that we should or when we know that we want to. And Terrence is offering some amazing advice on how to push past these barriers. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sounds Good is sponsored by BetterHelp. Right now, I think we all know this, we are going through a collective global trauma. If you've been struggling with your mental health, that is so normal. So many people are experiencing that same thing. And on top of the collective global trauma that we're experiencing, we're all working through interpersonal relationships and life struggles. You probably need someone to talk to. I know that I do. BetterHelp is an amazing solution for this. BetterHelp makes it easy to get matched with your own licensed professional therapist. Plus, it's affordable. All you have to do is answer a few questions and they'll get you matched and ready to start in under 48 hours. I've been using BetterHelp for a while now. It started in the beginning of the pandemic where I just wanted to be able to talk to somebody. And so I would take video calls or like voice calls from my neighborhood. I would walk around my neighborhood and I would talk with the therapist and it was so helpful for me. And now I'm fully vaccinated. I am ready to go back out into the world. And it's so nice to not be tethered to my hometown if I want to talk to my therapist. I can hop on a call when I'm traveling. I can hop on a call when I'm busy. And it just gives me great access to my amazing therapist whenever I want. BetterHelp is offering a special offer for Sounds Good listeners where you can get 10% off your first month when you take the quiz to get started at betterhelp.com slash good. That's betterhelp.com slash good. One more time, that is betterhelp.com slash good. Sounds Good is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM, and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you already know this. They're the company that lets you support a local bookstore every time you download an audiobook. And (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but they are almost identical to the major audiobook company that you hear advertised in other podcasts. It's the same price. They have the same books. The app is amazing. The only real difference, in my opinion, is that (laughs) one supports a giant mega corporation and the other supports a local bookstore of your choosing. You get to keep money within your local economy, you create local jobs, and you make a difference in your community. If you are using that giant audiobook company, you should make the switch to Libro FM. And if you are not yet, but you're like, oh my goodness, I want to start listening to audiobooks and support my local bookstores in the process, well, the good news is that there is a special offer for Sounds Good listeners. Libro FM is offering two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership when you use the code GOOD. 
All you have to do is visit the website Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. And use the promo code GOOD to get started with two audiobooks to make a difference in your local community and to help support this show. One thing that I also found helpful in your book was you dive into some of the excuses that people kind of have for not taking up like their work in in their piece, you know? And I wrote down a few of them as they resonated with me, the things where I'm like, oh, this is this is something that I'm experiencing in my life or somebody I love is maybe experiencing their life. And I was hoping maybe you could help me, you know, work through a few of these if that works for you. Yeah, I would I would love to engage in those. Perfect. So the first one is the excuse of I'm too busy. I'm too busy to make a difference. I'm too busy to do that thing that I've always wanted to do. I'm too busy to take action on that issue that I care about. This is the one that resonates with me the most. <laughs> yeah, I think that resonates with you, with me, with uh, so many people uh, trying to figure out where they are, you know, in where we are in society and culture and in the world right now. I think one of the things that COVID-19 and even the pandemic caused a lot of us to think about and process was, what was I really doing with my time? (laughs) You know, when everything kind of slowed down and shut down and, you know, put people quarantined in their homes and, you know, work moved from building to home and all of life collided in one space and we weren't doing as much, I think many people were left with the questions that we were all asking. What What am I really doing with my time? And I think that question within itself causes us to evaluate what we place uh, in, you know, at the top of our priority list. And most times I, I think, you know, that we have a lot of willing people, Right. We have people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and make a difference. We have people who are willing to see that, you know, or work hard to see the type of change that we're all desiring. But the truth is we don't have a lot of available people. Mm. And while we don't have that availability, it's all centered on what's consuming your time, what's piled up on your plate. And One of the things that I had to do early on as it relates to busyness was ask myself some very hard questions, you know, things like, are all of the things that I'm doing right now, are they good things or are they the best things? Or am I just doing these things to fill dead time because I don't want to slow down where I have to process a lot of the things that I've been running from? There's questions I had to ask myself if I trade this one thing that I'm doing for the thing that I I really want to be doing, how much will I miss the thing that I'm just doing just to, just to do to fill up, you know, this time I had to start to like weigh, you know, what was most important to me, what resonated to me. And I think a large part of us understanding how to 
reevaluate our margin is to go inward and to really interrogate ourselves at our core and our, ask ourselves some hard questions about the things that we are carrying. Because if we are all truthful, we're all, you know, counting down the seconds where we make the transition and we won't be here anymore. Um, my question is, you know, between your born date and your date of, of leaving earth, you know, what does your dash represent? You know, what are the list of things that you gave your time to your energy to, were they things that really were on your heart that really mattered to you? And if they're not, it's okay because we still have space and time now to say no to the things that are consuming our lives and to start saying yes to the things that we want to give our lives to. Man, that is so helpful. And the second one that I wrote down, the second excuse that I that I kind of read between the lines of your book and saw was this idea of I'm not ready to make a difference, but I will when I blank. And, and perhaps that's you know, I will when I make more money and I can make a bigger difference or, you know, something like that. Help me work through that excuse. It really breaks my heart because I think the deeper meaning of the excuse is a message of worth, right? When we look out into the world and we see, oh, like, look at that celebrity or actor making a difference or look at that leader making a difference or look at, you know, those people who are leading organizations and, and, and they're making a difference, forgetting that we're all on an equal playing field, um, uh, forgetting that every single person, no matter income or not, uh, can contribute something. Um, and I, I like to speak to this personally because I, I never imagined myself of being a leader. I think I've I've told you this before, you know, I had a lot of struggles that I had to overcome early on and I got into a place in my life where I just made this decision that whatever I can give, if I can show up with my heart and I can keep a posture of student, meaning that I want to learn from those that I'm around, that whatever I'm able to give, I'm just going to trust that that makes a difference. And it freed me up from um, the pressure of having to know it all or having to have it all figured out or having to have a fancy title in front of my name or having to be, you know, deemed as this type of leader. I just wanted to show up with my heart. And I think that is really simple, but it's kind of like a, a lost, you know, uh, a lost framework um, that we no longer use. When was the last time you just showed up with your heart? You know, it was no agenda. It was no metrics. It was no, um, this is what I'm hoping to get from this or anything. And just showed up with, you know, your palms, your, your palms down. Like, how can I serve? How can I make a difference? How can I use whatever it is that I know um, to create the type of change that I wish to see? And what many people uh, forget to realize is that no matter where you are, whether you have a title or not, whether you work in a grocery store or you're a CEO of an organization or not, that someone somewhere in your world looks at you as a leader, right? That no matter where you find yourself, you are a leader in the eyes of someone else. And realizing that 
gives us this responsibility to want to, you know, carry and conduct ourselves in a way where we use uh, the influence on whatever level we've been given to make a difference in the world. And trust me, I've seen so many people who just started out with, you know, I just want to know the smallest basic thing that I can do and committed themselves to that and have grown. I mean, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now, B, had I not just constantly showed up with heart. And I think the consistency within itself grew me as I committed myself to showing up just for one thing over and over and over again. And we've been able to see a lot of change from that. I think this third excuse that I wrote down, the third and final one, you might have almost just gotten into it without even knowing it, but it's this excuse of, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert, so I'll leave that thing to the people who know more than me. And to some degree, I get that. Like There are people who know how to... They're an engineer. They know how to dig a well. I don't know how to do that. I will let that person do that thing. But if that's stopping me from doing anything, that's maybe an unhealthy excuse. What would you say to that? I would say... No, you may not be an expert in everything, but you are skilled in something. Yeah, you may not be the the engineer that can solve an engineering problem, but you could be the person that organizes uh, the support and the day and the plans uh, that's needed for that engineer to carry it out. And what I'm basically saying is that all of us, no matter where we are in life, have something to contribute. You know, one of the things that people struggle with the most is, you know, they have careers or they have something that they do really well and they kind of check out and leave it at the door when they leave work or, you know, when they go out into the world, they leave it at, at the house, right? And not realizing that some of those same skills that you've learned in your career or uh, some of the things that you just naturally uh, know how to do, that those skills can be transferred into other areas of social change. I'll never forget uh, one of my friends who is a medical doctor uh, that had a passion for social justice, and it's totally outside of the realm of the work that is being done within their hospital. And I remember having a conversation and I was like, what are one of the skills that you've learned as a medical doctor? And they said, well, I I always have to organize things and went into all these charts and things. And I said, well, why don't you just leverage that basic skill and translate that into something? And I'll never forget, she helped to organize this uh, social justice anti-racism conference uh, for an organization that she's passionate about that had never had one. And the success from that, after like organizing all of the speakers, coming up with all of the topics, all of those things were used to impact the, the myriad of attenders. And it was way beyond what she could ever dream or imagine. And it was simply by saying, let me use this one skill that I use for this and translate that into something that is justice oriented. And what I'm proposing for people today is to 
look at the inventory of their skill sets and, and the context of their lives and ask yourself, how can you use what you are talented at uh, and offer that up in connection with others to create social change? You kind of almost surprised me with that too, because I was like, oh, I thought you were going to say that she was going to just, you know, volunteer as a doctor or something. And no, she had a, a specific skill set within her vocation and she got to apply that. And so I feel like that's a great reminder that you have all these unique skills that can be applied in completely different ways than your normal job or completely different ways than you normally do. And it feels like such an exciting, cool opportunity to, to start processing in that way. You know, so many light bulbs go off once you start to think of, you know, the skills that you have in a much larger way. And I think that we've been programmed to think that, oh, that's just organization. Oh, that's just, I know how to sing a little bit. Oh, that's just, you know, I have this artistic side of me. Oh, I can write content. And we just kind of casually dismiss them uh, not knowing that so many other people struggle with even having that particular skill. I think that when we start to reimagine how we can apply our skills to a much larger uh, fabric of social change, that's when light bulbs go off and we start to understand how we can contribute that to the world of justice. Man, this is so good. And I want to be mindful of our time. And, and as we wrap up, I've got just one final question, which is in light of our conversation today, if I was to go out, if listeners were to go out and just do one thing this week to kind of get the ball rolling on, on taking this action in a communal way of, you know, taking up our piece, what is one action step that we can take to just get that ball rolling? I'm going to go back to the topic of margin on that particular question. And I'll uh, challenge listeners to look at the context of their calendars to look at their priority list uh, personally in a leadership capacity or what they hope and dream that they would be doing. I want them to look at their calendars and literally pick one thing that they need to remove, free up that time to create the type of margin and dedicate that time that they would normally spend being distracted or occupied with something that they really don't want to do and devote that time to finding something that you're passionate about, uh, some type of cause. And even if you only gave one hour to it, give that one hour to it, feel all of the emotions from your giving of that hour, and then repeat that process. That's Terrence Lester, the founder of Love Beyond Walls and the author of When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. You can learn more about Love Beyond Walls at lovebeyondwalls.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support the incredible work that they are doing. And then also pick up a copy of his new book, Wherever You Buy Books. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at goodgoodgood.co. This episode is created by Kaylee Thompson, Megan Burns, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios, and they actually just launched a brand new website. 
Check it out at soundonsoundoff.com. To make sure that you keep on getting more good news in your podcast feed, make sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you have a favorite episode of the show, share it on your Instagram stories or maybe, you know, go old fashioned and share it via text message. Whatever you can do to help more people celebrate good news and take good action. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and find one person to collaborate with on making the world a better place. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? Sound good?